Hey guys, Keeper Murph here. I just let you know this is an interview I did with Badge McGinnis a number of weeks ago. I'm sorry for it taking so long to get out. Some of the things we talk about is a little dated, and that's probably why. This is kind of old, uh, a few weeks old, and so um, I'm sorry, Badger. Hello, this is Keeper Murph from the Miskatonic University podcast, and I'm here with Badger McGinnis. Hello, Badger. Hi, how are you doing? Pretty good, and you? I'm doing pretty swell. Awesome. So, um, we're talking to you about a certain game that you've designed that I actually got the honor, the absolute joy of playing at <laughs> Necronomicon when I met you in person. Oh my gosh, so awesome. I, I, I know, it was just complete random happenstance, but it worked out so well. It did, it was great. I had a great time. Uh, and I played, I don't know how many hours of your game, Feed the Shoggoth. Uh, but it was a lot, and I fell in absolute love with it. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about Feed the Shoggoth and, and what the concept of the game is? Sure. Um, the concept of the game is that <clears throat> the players uh, take the part of um, uh, the leaders of various evil cults. Um, you've got the Esoteric Order of Dagon, you've got the Chapel of Contemplation, uh, Order of Silver Twilight, and so on. And there's a very nasty angry and hungry Shoggoth in the middle of the table and in order to um, earn points and win the game you are sacrificing um, the lowly minions of your cult to the Shoggoth um, at the same time that you're trying to do this the other evil cult leaders are trying to prevent that from happening and they will do so by throwing spells at you and just generally being nasty so it's, it's basically placate the Shoggoth is what this is Essentially, yeah. But it's it's so much more fun when you actually play it because there's so much uh, opportunity for uh, intergroup backstabbing and uh, and alliances that you can build up just so that you can screw one of the other guys. It's a lot of fun to play. Well, well, thanks. It's yeah. I, there's definitely a big screw your neighbor sort of uh, mechanic built into it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, along with a bit of hot potato because. Uh, one of the aspects of the game is that the minion cards are finite resources, and as you play through the game, um, you know those minions. Once you use them up, they don't come back into the game. So, if you hit a certain point, you can end up just trying to keep the Shoggoth away from you the entire thing. Because uh, one of the other mechanics of the game is that if the Shoggoth is in front of you and it's your turn, and you don't have a minion card in your hand, the Shoggoth eats you, and you're out of the game. And so basically it's your goal to either have all the other people eaten or to not be eaten yourself, right? Or, or to uh, get to the uh, uh, score total. Right. Which can, can, it, it varies between how many players are in the game. Uh, anywhere between, I think, three and five points. I think we played one ridiculously long one at one point, like a ten-pointer or something, didn't we, at Necronomicon? Didn't, uh, I don't. I don't think it was ten points. Was 10 I think points? it was seven, it was like six. Yeah, maybe seven. Um, but yeah, I've I've modified the the rules since then. So the five is the ax, absolute maximum, and that's when you've got just like three players. Right. So if I add more players, can I have more points? Uh, if you add more players, it's actually less points to win the game. I got you. So you're trying to keep the time down on it as well as what you're doing. Yeah, what I found is that when you add, when you're adding more players and you don't adjust uh, the the 
the, the points uh, victory total, mm -hmm. it can really drag on. Um, so I, <laughs> I, 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 I <laughs> yeah, when we played that one game, I, I tend to I tend to remember it going on for maybe well well over an hour. I don't know exactly how long, but for a, for a single hand of a card game, that was it was pretty it was pretty long, but it was a lot of fun the whole time too. Well, that's, that's good to hear. I also remember one game, uh, it was the the next day, uh, I think this is Saturday, um, <laughs> the game lasted like 20 minutes because you managed to get everybody else at the table eaten by the shot cough. <laughs> I had an unnatural knack for that game, I will not lie. It was a lot yes, of Yes, you did. It's a lot it's, of fun. I think it's <laughs> I think it's perfectly suited for people like you who just like I want to kill everybody and I don't care. I'm not going to be nice. The <laughs> game isn't the set up to be nice, so no. I'm not going to play it nice. You have a mechanic built in where you have to feed someone to a shotgun. So I mean, obviously it's winner take all, you know. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> it's a blast. Um so tell me a little bit how you actually came up with the idea. I mean, that's it's kind of a I don't know how to describe it. it, it it's, it's kind of out there for a card game style. Um, it's not something I've Is played it? very... Well, it's, I don't play a lot of card games, so maybe I'm not the one to ask, but it's not something I've ran across typically very often. Um, I mean, it's not like magic where you're one-on-one you know, -on -one and you're countering and all this. I guess it is like that, though, isn't it? But then you have this Shoggoth that's going around the table at the same time, which is really screws with you and adds this whole level of pressure to it. So just, just tell us how you actually came up with the idea for the game. Um, I, man, that's a really good question. I, I just remember idly thinking about various card games and board games that uh, are Lovecraftian themed and um, suddenly thought, well, what would it be like to, to have a game where all the players are basically evil people and they're dealing with something that's even more evil than them? Um, and so I came up with the idea that you have all these, I think my first pass at it was that they were all evil wizards um but then that quickly morphed into cult leaders because that more fit into the genre um and then the, the like the, the first iteration of of the of the design was that you had the shoggoth in the middle and you have everybody seated around it like you do now but the shoggoth never moved and so it was a lot more about attacking the other people rather than uh, the Shoggoth being the central focal point. Um, and it was only after I talked to a couple of friends of mine, Zombie Master is one that you know. Um, yep, Zombie Master's on the forums and on the RC channel quite a bit. Yeah. Um, where we, were, we sat down one evening and just kind of bounced ideas back and forth about how the, how the, the mechanics of the game could work out and, and I forget, one of them came up with the idea, well, how about if the Shoggoth is moving around the table all the time and you have to deal with that, and, and that's that's the basic uh, you know, goal of the game is to you know, control it or, or feed it or something like that. And that's how it kind of morphed into uh, the game that we know now. How, how much have the rules changed since I played it in Necronomicon? Um... Not much. Uh, I'm trying to remember back uh, the version that we had, but it, it's pretty. It was pretty finalized back then. I'd gone through dozens of playtest sessions with it prior to bringing it to Necronomicon, um, 
I would say the, the score totals were tweaked a bit, um, and there's some individual cards that have been modified here and there, but overall what you played is as close to final as it's, you know, you're going to see before it's published. Right. So uh, tell us about the different types of cards in there, because I know there's, I mean, there's different style of cards. Like you mentioned the mana cards and spells and stuff like that. Can you just go real quick through the different categories of cards that you have? Sure. Um, you have uh, spell cards, which uh, can be cast at any time during your turn or anybody else's turn, and that's the primary way that you will, if you want to screw with somebody else while they're trying to feed the Shoggoth, uh, then you'd be casting spells. Uh, there are artifacts, uh, which are generally more powerful than spells, uh, but they require um, a turn of activation. Um, unlike spells, which you cast directly from your hand, um, artifacts are put out on the table in front of you and they're turned sideways uh, for one turn to indicate that they haven't been activated yet and then on your next turn then you would turn them um, you know, right side up so that um, everybody knows that you can use them. Uh, then you have action cards which like spells can be played at any time. Um, their main advantage is that they can be counter countered. Um, and action cards are primarily used to uh, get the health away from the shock off <laughs> if, <it's, laughs> if it's buried down on you and you can't do anything about it. Uh, and then you have your minion cards, uh, which are what you use to sacrifice to the Shoggoth. Um, there are also uh, the cult faction cards um, that are distributed randomly at the beginning of the game, and each cult faction has a unique special ability that you can use through the course of the game. Right. Now, when I played it, uh, every one of the cards had... Let's see, they were um, playing cards that you had drawn original art onto uh, and like pasted onto it or posted noted <laughs> onto it, and they were all in sleeves. So have, yep. has, has it come past that? I, I mean, hopefully we've moved beyond the uh, the uh, the rough sketches on, on post-its that are taped onto the playing cards. Um, <clears throat> on my computer, yeah, I've, I've been refining uh the artwork since then um but i don't have anything printed yet that's what the kickstarter is for um but yeah they the final version won't be printed on you know on play cards and in sleeves with post-it notes on them <laughs> i just thought i'd bring that up just to embarrass you if nothing else uh so tell us about the kickstarter when are you planning to start it what are what can we expect for uh, stretch goals and whatnot levels pledge levels um, as well Sure. Um, let's see. The uh, Kickstarter itself, I hope to have launched um, next week or the week after. Um, right now, I'm just putting the final touches on uh, the video. Um, got it edited. All I need to do is is do some final tweaking as far as sound and, and stuff. Um, and then I have to submit it to the Kickstarter overlords. And once they approve it, then I'll be able to go live. Um, as far as pledge levels go, um, got a bunch of different stuff. Uh, of course, you can get a, uh, a physical copy of the game. You'll be able to get a PDF copy of the game. Um, higher tiers will allow you to get a, a painted Shoggoth miniature uh, that you can use instead of just a Shoggoth card that comes in the set. Who's doing uh, the miniature all... for you? Uh, Jason McKittrick, who should be familiar to your listeners. Yep, from Cryptocurium. Yep. Cool. Um, also, a storage box that will be large enough to hold the game, um, the miniature score counters, and any expansions that we may come out with later. 
Um, let's see, what else? Uh, the score counters themselves. Um, uh, for those who have to have everything, um, you will be able to get a, uh, a minion card painted with your likeness on it, um, and that will be by <laughs> either uh, Paul Carrick or David Grilla. Oh, my God. How much is that going to cost me, Badger? Just tell uh, me now. Uh, well, that, that will include absolutely everything else, so that will be 400 bucks. Oh, my gosh. Oh, Lord. I'm going to have to talk to my wife. <laughs> If I could get Paul Carrick to do my likeness on a card, that would just be so messed up. I could feed myself to a shoggoth. Oh, man, 400 bucks. Okay, I'm going to start convincing the wife on that one. Now, on the more reasonable levels, you can also get uh, the, the Shoggoth Mini uh, custom painted. Um, and Jason has said that he'll also do a glow-in-the-dark version if you want. Ooh, those are cool. I've seen some of his glow-in-the-dark ones, and they come out really nice. Do they? I haven't seen those yet. Yeah, he's had a couple in the past that he sold as Glow in the Dark, and I have, I think I have one of them around here somewhere, and it, it comes out really cool. Um, yeah? Yeah, they're light activated, so you know, they sit in the light for a while, and they kind of absorb up that light energy, and then you flip the lights out, and they glow for a couple hours. It's pretty nice. cool. It's pretty eerie, too, depending on what kind of texture and uh, paint that he puts on it uh, for detail. It can make it really pop and, and look just absolutely insane, which is really mm. cool. Of course, it wouldn't actually encourage people to play the game in the dark, but you know, if you want that mm -hmm. mini, the way <laughs> to go in the dark. It in a dimly lit room with candles. Sure, yeah. Robes and uh, sacrificial knives. Just uh huh. I mean, altar in the back. Or in front. I mean, probably right next to the table so you can get rid of those other guys, you know? Or that could be the table itself. Oh, yes. We're playing on the altar. That's even better. That's right. That's <laughs> Pure genius. Gosh. Maybe I should put that as a, as a pledge level. <laughs> For 5000 bucks, you get your own altar. Your own custom stone altar. We'll deliver it to you. Hand, hand deliver it. We'll have to drive it because no one will be shipping on it. No. <laughs> All right. Um, so in addition to this, what else you got going on? I know you're doing the Feed the Shoggoth Kickstarter. should be coming out next week, like you said. And then... I mean, you uh, tell us what your day job is, because I bet a lot of people don't quite recognize your name in association to what you actually do. Uh, well, my my real day job is you know working in the tech industry, but we don't have to talk about that. Uh, if you're <laughs> talking about your, your day, the day job, we give a damn about the other one. Ah, uh, um, uh, that would be uh, my book design and uh, layout uh, job. That's um, yeah. Um, well, right now um, I'm doing uh, some some follow-up stuff for um, Call of Cthulhu Seventh Edition. Um, I finished the bulk of my work back uh, in April, um, but you know there's some odds and ends that I need to finish doing. So I'm in the process of doing that. Uh, meanwhile, everybody else in Chaosium is polishing it up on their end. Um, I just finished doing the cover design for De Horror Cosmico, which is supposed to be the next book coming out from Golden Goblin Press after the New Orleans book, which um, I'm not sure where they are uh, with that. If the Kickstarter is over yet, I haven't been yeah, able to follow it too much. The Kickstarter is over. It's it's in post-phase. They're coming up to a final draft here very soon, a final layout. Okay. Soon. Okay, so that's an active development. So mm -hmm. the, after 
that is done, then they're going to start the Kickstarter for to Horror Cosmico, which is a collection of uh, scenarios for Cthulhu Invictus. Right, which should be really cool given Oscar's success with, uh, uh, I can't even think of his name now. The, Arius Lurko? Thank you, Lurko. Arius Lurko. Godly. I can't believe I blanked out. I kept trying to say Arctus instead of Arius. I was trying to put the two words together. Anyway, um, I think that the next Kickstarter for Golden Goblins is going to start around October, around Halloween-ish time, I believe, is when he's planning on that one. I could be wrong, though. Yeah, that sounds about right. So I'll be doing the, uh, the book design for that, and um, there's some other stuff involved with that that I don't know if I can talk about yet, but yeah. there's more than just one book involved in that. That's enough. Don't don't give us any more or Oscar would be mad at us. Okay. <laughs> that's enough of a that's enough of a leak. <laughs> um so uh, what else? What else you been up to, man? I haven't seen you in a year. It's nice to catch up with you. It's been almost a year now. Yeah, it's crazy. Um I know. Um, well, seventh edition occupied, God, all of my time for months on end. That was that was just a, a full time job right there. Doing that, doing the cork and doing the investigators handbook. It was just you know nonstop working nights and weekends every single week for months. It's been crazy and trying to do other stuff on top of that, like feed the Shoggoth, um, which kind of. It had to take a back seat for a while, which is why it's taken so long for me to just get the Kickstarter together for this. And, and plus, I wanted to do the Kickstarter right. Right. Yeah, you don't want to jump the gun too early and not have everything set up beforehand, or you'll just look like a fool whenever it comes out. At best, look like a fool. At worst, have a lot of very angry people, very angry people. <laughs> knocking on my door wondering... <laughs> Why are they paying twenty dollars for shifting? Yeah, you're right there in the uh, in the hub of a lot of players in your area, and so they can literally come and pound on your door. <laughs> it would it would suck. Yeah, well, it's a good thing that I don't have my address published in the yellow pages. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good. That's a very good thing. Are you going to make it to Gen Con this year? <sighs> I don't think so. Oh. I just don't have them. I know. I I don't have the funds for it. I, I hear you. It's it's going to cost me a small fortune, um, but uh, it was a deal I made with my wife, so she's she's still backing me. So we're still going. <laughs> I, oh, both of you are going? Yeah, both of us are going. I conned her into it, so she has no idea. No what pun she's intended. Into. No, no, no. It's it's not a pun. It, it's I conned her into it. Uh, <laughs> she, she has no idea what she's getting into. That's all I can say. Um, have you been to Gen Con before? I have not. No, this will be my first Gen Con. Uh, this will be her first con of any sort whatsoever. Um, and I might overwhelm her. Just saying. Gen Con's big, you know? I, I, I've heard it can get pretty overwhelming, yeah. Yeah. Of course, she's not interested in gaming at all, which is another thing that kind of baffled me when she. I tried to explain what it was, and she was... It, it just didn't... I don't think it clicked. Uh, and then this last week, whenever they announced the events or the event uh, submission where you could purchase your events and stuff for Gen Con, I made sure that we went through it on that Sunday when, it, when they released so we could go through all the stuff that I was going to do that I had to do for the show and then stuff that I needed to make for the show, you know, like uh, the different seminars and stuff, the Chaosium one, the Pagans, uh, Arc Dream Publishing has got a seminar on scenario building, I believe. 
mm-hmm. so there's a bunch of different seminars I wanted to go to, uh, and then just walk around and talk with people. Well, um, she didn't quite grasp that, so she was looking through the spouse activities like, oh, a brewery tour, that's going to be cool. I'm going to do see the catacombs, that'll be great. You know, so she's going to be sightseeing while I'm uh, in nerd heaven. So <laughs> it'll be fun. One thing I, I do want to try to do uh, this year is try to get some more writing done because I've had a, I have an ever-growing backlog of scenarios that I've written that I would really like to at least see some of them published someday, but I just haven't had the ta- chance to sit down and write most of them out properly. Uh, you played one of them at Necronomicon. Uh, the, um, I can't remember the name of it, but it was the Delta Green one at the truck stop. Yeah, it's called The Last Stop. The Last Stop, that's it. That was a lot of fun. That was a very good scenario. <laughs> you were particularly vicious in that one, too. I am a notoriously vicious player. I, I don't know if you knew this before. Uh, uh, I, I, no, I didn't, but now I do. <laughs> yeah, um, I think there was the one scene where I was playing a female FBI agent, and I walked up to a nine-year-old boy and blew his brains out. Um, but... And then his mom. And then his mom. But in all fairness, that sounds horrible, but they were already dead and were infected with some otherworldly being. So it's not like I just murdered a mother and child. I, I murdered a mother and child by proxy. So it wasn't, wasn't nearly as bad. It was... <laughs> if, if, well, if you want to rationalize it that way. She didn't. Uh, the character didn't. The character just did it because she had a lot of baggage anyway. She had a really low sand, if I remember correctly. But... Um, I want to comment, now that you brought that up, though, um, for a con game, you really rolled out the stops. You had placards, uh, player placards in place, pictures on stands. Um, I want to say you had laminated character sheets. Um, I might be wrong there, though. Um, Mm, No, I I, I didn't have that, although that's a good idea. It is a good idea. Uh, You can take that one for next time. Um, But, I mean, you really pulled out all the stops with your, um, your map was really big. Um, and well done. I mean, it was very nice. I, I was really impressed with your presence at, at a con for, you know, running a game. It was very, very, very good. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah. I um, mean, com- even compared to the other people who were there running games at Necronomicon, um, your setup stood out more than most just because of the amount of detail that you went into setting up the game and making sure that the people playing had an experience to play as well. It was, it was quite nice. I really appreciated that. Well, thanks. I, I try to go for as immersive of an experience as possible, um, you know, given the even the constraints of traveling from California to to Providence and not being able to have that much stuff with me. Um, I, I feel that that sort of thing really helps the, the players get into the characters, get into the mood, get into the mindset of the game. Um, you know, I have to admit that you know, a good portion of that stuff I've pilfered from other game masters that I know here in the area who are excellent writers, excellent prop masters. They, you know, they like having the the character portraits on stands. I I pinched that for one of my buddies, um, and yeah, I would I would suggest that any any keeper wanting to try to help promote that immersion do stuff like that. I mean, it's certainly, if, if you don't have a good scenario to start with, it doesn't matter how much turd polishing you do. The, the turd is still <laughs> going to be a turd, but 
Um, yeah, I, I think that, especially for a horror game like Call of Cthulhu, trying to um, promote as much immersion as you can really helps. It, it, it really just helps the overall game. Right, it helps them to get in character, and it helps people to, to basically see through another person's eyes, which is all you want them to do as a character. You don't want them to be themselves. You want them to try and take on this other persona. Um, and that, that allows us as keepers to, to make our job a little bit easier because then we know what that character knows or what they should be feeling, and that helps us create that little bit more of horror for them. Which you know, and I, it, you're you're damn right about that. It, anything you can do to help immerse them into the game is is a must do, in my opinion. And for me, anyway, um, when I write, uh, all, all the scenarios that I've written so far um, have been for conventions, and with that comes pre-generated characters, and I try to give as much detail as I can into the background of those characters. Yeah, your backgrounds uh, were great. I, I remember I had a it wasn't a um, uh, like two or three pages of background to go with each character that you provided. And you had about eight or nine characters total on hand, just in case. Yeah, yeah, about that many. Um, I would actually be curious um, to know what you and other people think about when they are playing in a con game as a character. Do they prefer to have that amount of detail into the character's backgrounds? When they get it, or do they prefer to have kind of more of a a, a blank slate that they can, uh, you know, put their own creativity into? Uh, for a con game, I, I have to say I like having that much detail because then I can read through the background, I can know who I'm supposed to be, what I'm supposed to be doing, and I don't have to worry about um, creating this entire persona on the fly. Uh, now, mm-hmm. for for playing in my regular group, I don't do that. Um, they all. Um, kind of have a very minimal background and we kind of flesh that out, almost sandbox the character background as we play the game. And so then we, we make notes of those things and then they, uh, those things come back to haunt them later on. But for a con game, <laughs> uh, for a con game though, it's, it's a whole nother beast for me at least. I find that the more, the more work that the keeper goes and puts in ahead of time, uh, the better the play experiences for the players, especially if it's like Gen Con where you have to pay to play the game, you know, so you're paying nothing much, like $4 to sit at the table. Or even if it's at Necronomicon where most of the games were uh, demos um, and people were just demoing out their systems or or new scenarios for Call of Cthulhu or whatever. Um, The more info that the Keeper has on hand shows me a couple of things. First, that the Keeper gives a damn, you know, to that the keeper did his homework and I can expect something. You know, when I came to your table and I saw you had character stands, you had place markers for the map, you had map, three pages of backstory, um, handouts already printed and ready to go. I mean, it was, it was an insane amount of detail that you had. And I could tell just by the game setup alone that, yeah, okay, this is going to be a fun game. Even without you there, I mean, it, it would have probably been a fun game. Uh, I don't know if it would have been a fun game if the scenario sucked, but... <laughs> um, it didn't, so it wasn't a problem. <laughs> well, I, I do try to avoid the whole you know scenario sucking <laughs> part. Sucking scenario, <laughs> yeah. it's one to avoid, that's for sure. <laughs> but yeah, I, I totally agree. And I mean, when, when it comes to a convention scenario, you're up against uh, a, a lot of different factors that are completely different from 
your ongoing campaign with your regular group. One oh, is yeah. just time. Time's the biggest one, yeah. Yeah, you have, you know, at some conventions it's four. Uh, the ones that are around where I live are typically six, which is a lot better. Yeah. Uh, but even then, you you don't have the luxury of time to allow the the players usually to to flesh out their characters and and try to generate them on the fly. Right. You know, especially if you have a lot of plot and investigation that you want to get through. So for me, generating the characters beforehand. Um, I, I just think is is, is is helpful for the players and it's helpful for you. Um, and especially with a lot of the scenarios that I run, I, I, I like to have a lot of maybe not character conflict, although I definitely do like that too, but, but character interaction and being able to write the backstories, have some control over that and be able to set up relationships with uh, the different player characters um, is, is really interesting to me and being able to then unleash that on the players and let them kind of go with it the way they they will you know to me that's one of the big pleasures of, of being a keeper for those type of situations I like as a player also at a con game you get to play with a lot of people you normally wouldn't play with I mean obviously but um, typically you get in a groove whenever you're with a group the same group for you know year in year out uh, and you kind of know what that other person or those other people in the group are going to do before they even do it after a while. So it's nice to have that extra bit of randomness from, you know, playing the game with strangers, uh, as strange as that sounds. Um, it's kind of nice to not know what your group members might actually do whenever they come across something. That's that's always a pleasure for me, uh, just because I keep so often that, you know, being a player on the other side of that's fun in its own right. But then once, you know, I'm expecting them to do one thing, and then oh no, they just did something completely different. That 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 really makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think something else too. I think I, I think it's kind of unfair for uh, people to, especially GMs, to expect that everybody is going to have the same level of creativity and imagination when they sit down at a table, especially with a bunch of um, random strangers. So I think that pre-generated characters helps with that as well. You know, if you're stuck for whatever reason trying to come up with an interesting backstory for your antiquarian, if you've got this, you know, pre-generated character in front of you, then that can help you spark your imagination or fill in the gaps that you can do yourself. Right. Um, now, handouts are another big plus, you know, not just handouts, but the way you present your characters. Um, one thing that I, I'm not going to say I wish you would have done it, but one thing that would have been cool that I thought of after the fact for your game for, or for any Delta Green game is to hand out the characters as if they're case files, you know, like Delta Green case files. So they're in, you know, those office style manila folders or, or one of those other specialized manila binders of some sort. Uh, mm -hmm. And then have them displayed like that, so that they look like a Delta Green file. You know, maybe have a big green band on them or something of that nature. Um, you know, I was trying to think of different ways you could present the characters to the players. Because when you're in a con like that, and you've got, you know, well, like in Economicon, there's probably you know a dozen, two dozen games going on at one time. You want to stand out a little bit because you, I mean, it's. Every keeper wants to be the guy they remember when they go home. You know what I mean? Oh, I remember sure. playing with that guy. He was fun. 
I think that would might push you over just the edge just a little bit for that next time around, you know, so that you can, oh, well, remember the dude who had the, you know, the case files for the character sheets? That was, that was awesome. You know, you can have the whole character sheet make it up like a Delta Green uh, personnel file or something of that nature. I thought that would be pretty neat. I have done that for some of my other scenarios. Uh, in fact, uh, there's a convention going on this weekend. Uh, it's a World War II Delta Green scenario uh, that I've written, and uh, the players at one point, um, once they get all of their memories back, will get um, a, a, a manila envelope with their full character sheet, their background, their orders from uh, the OSS, and they have to actually tear open their orders to find out what exactly their mission is. Very cool. See, that's awesome. After- I, I like that kind of detail from a keeper. That's that's really cool because I don't get to play in person very often. So when I go to a con, I like to play, you know, you play in person. And if I can have a, a keeper that gives that extra amount of detail, that's, that's really awesome. Yeah, I, I've, I've played with some people who have just made some amazing props. Um, I have in mind a scenario that uh, it, I guess you could say is influenced by uh, True Detective not so much in, in terms of storyline, but more in general mood. Um, and um, one handout that I plan on having is an actual severed hand. I mean, not a real severed hand, but a, uh, <laughs> a, a fake severed hand that will be dropped on some unfortunate player at some point. <laughs> that's good, though. I like that. And that's part of Covered the hook. In- is that what that is? The, the hook to get them into the game? Uh, no, that'll be a clue that they find uh, at some point during the scenario that it'll be covered with fake blood and there'll be a, a symbol carved into the palm. That's pretty good. I like that. Would you carry it around in a little Ziploc bag with all the fake blood on it so it's sticky and yucky? Yep. <laughs> That's great. I love it. That's fantastic. Maybe, so what con, some piece- <laughs> what con is it that you're going to this weekend? Uh, it's called KublaCon. That's oh, okay. uh, the biggest... biggest uh, convention in the uh, bay area as far as i know badger i really appreciate talking to you man uh thank you for coming on the show oh thanks for having me really appreciate it yeah anytime you want to come back just let us know and we'll have you on man okay um just to give a little bit of information out if anybody wants to find out more um news about feed the shoggoth they can go to my website at uh squamousstudios.com it's all one word. Or you can look me up on Facebook um, at facebook.com slash Studios. Not a problem. We'll have links to that in the show notes uh, or the interview notes. All right, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks again.